that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman with, is that really in the Bible? Did you know that most Christians don't follow Jesus? Now, I know they go to church, that I understand, but as far as following what Jesus did, following his example that he set before us, most Christians just don't follow Jesus. Now, I know I can just hear people say, well, I love the Lord. I just love Jesus. But listen, having an emotional attachment to Jesus is not the same as doing what he tells you to do. In fact, what you see in most churches today doesn't even remotely resemble the teachings and the followings of Christ Jesus. Now, let me just give you some examples here. Jesus said, think not. Think not that I have come to destroy the law. Now, you would think, you would think, if Jesus told us not to think something, that we would not think it. Don't think that. And yet, that is the very thought that is in a lot of religious people's minds. So Christ comes along and says, look, don't think that I've come to destroy the law. And what you will hear is Christians saying Christ came to abolish or fulfill or nail to the cross the law. Jesus, what most people think, what most Christians think is the exact opposite of what Christ taught. Jesus said he was Lord of the Sabbath day. Most Christians think, no, he's Lord of Sunday, the first work day of the week. Jesus said, all those that are in the grave shall hear my voice. Most people think that Christians who have passed away are already in heaven. Jesus said, no man has ascended to heaven. Guess where most religious people think you go when you die? You got it, heaven. The Bible says God only has immortality. Get this, God only has, at this time, has immortality. Guess what nearly every Christian thinks? that you have an immortal soul that either flits off to heaven or to hell when you die. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Guess what most religious people believe? That the wages of sin is eternal life in a place called hell. All right? Now let's, let's just look at some examples from the New Testament of what Jesus did. And I want to ask the question, are we following what Jesus did? Luke 4 and verse 16. And it came to pass, and he came to Nazareth, excuse me, which he had been, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now, did you notice that? His custom. Should we follow Christ's custom? Maybe we should thumb our nose up at Christ's custom. Maybe we should avoid Christ's customs. Maybe we should say it doesn't mean his example doesn't mean anything. Why would we follow Christ's example? 
But this tells us his custom was to go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day to read. Matthew 26 and verse 17. Now the first day of, un, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where will you that we prepare thee to eat the Passover? Now the question is why? Why are they consulting Jesus about the Passover and the days of unleavened bread, which are part of God's annual holy days? Why? Why are they doing this? You know, Leviticus 23 and verse 4 says, These are the feasts of the Lord, the feasts of Jehovah, even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim during their season. We're supposed to proclaim these days when they come about. So we have the Passover, Jesus' example of the Passover. We have Jesus' examples of the days of unleavened bread. We have Jesus' example of keeping the Sabbath day. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 8. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. Pentecost? Well, Pentecost is right after the days of unleavened bread. Well, not directly after, but it's the next holy day. But notice he didn't say, but I will, your Bible doesn't say, but I will tarry at Ephesus until Easter. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Christmas. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Halloween. No. Pentecost, which is one of God's annual seven, seven holy days. The Feast of Trumpets. We read about that in Revelation 11 and verse 15. The seventh trumpet sounds, and the seventh angel sounded. And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and we shall reign forever and ever. This is about the seventh, the, 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 the seventh trumpet or the feast of trumpets that represents Christ returning to this earth. And we're looking at the New Testament, reading about these holy days. Acts 27 and verse 9. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. Do you know what that word fast right there means? It means atonement. They were keeping the New Testament church. Jesus' disciples, Christ himself, were keeping the holy days that are found in the pages of your Bible. They were keeping the Day of Atonement. John 7 and verse 7 says, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Yeah, if you speak out against this evil, rotten, sin-sick society, and you say things like, abortion is murder, okay, Fornication, adultery is wrong. You will be hated when you speak out. When you condemn evil, you will be hated. John 7 and verse 14. Now about the midst of the feast. Feast? What feast? This is talking about the feast of tabernacles. Jesus went up to the temple and taught. Now my question is this. Why was Jesus keeping the feast of tabernacles? And why doesn't your church keep? I mean, this is an example. Shouldn't we follow Jesus' example? And yet you've never heard about the Feast of Tabernacles? Why is your church not teaching the meaning of the Feast of Tabernacles? John 7 and verse 37. 
In the last day, that great day of the feast, what feast? Feast of Tabernacles. This is referring to the last great day. Jesus stood up crying, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come after me and drink. He that believes on me, the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So we have proven, now get this, we have proven from the New Testament alone that these feast days, that the New Testament church were keeping these feast days. Passover, Days of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles, and the last great day, seven. Get that, seven holy days. Now let's go into the future when Christ returns. Let's go to the day of the Lord and see what's going to happen. And in Zechariah 14 and verse 16, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feasts tabernacle. So if all nations get this, when Christ returns, all nations are going to be keeping the feast of tabernacles. How come your church isn't keeping it today? Can you answer that? Why don't you hear a word, a not a word out of the preacher's mouth about the feast of tabernacles, about God at God's annual holy days? Like I said, most Christians don't follow Jesus. What he did his example or what he said. So I want to do two things with this message. I want to look at what Christ said, and I want to look at what he's going to do when he returns to this earth. And you're going to find that the two are exactly the same. Okay, let's go with this. We already discovered, uh, talked about this one. Matthews 5 and verse 17. Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy but to fulfill. Now let me tell you how most Christians read this one. They read it like this, think not, Jesus said, think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to destroy. That's how they read that, okay? Now, Thayer's definition of that word fulfill means to obey as it should be. Yeah, Jesus obeyed the law as it should have been. If he didn't, we wouldn't have a savior, you understand? So that's, what's, that's what that word fulfill means. Don't in your ignorance, try to manipulate or screw with the scriptures and say, oh, you know, I didn't come to destroy, but uh, I came to uh, uh, unnecessary. It's not necessary for us to keep today. Don't, don't, don't go there in your ignorance, okay? Now, maybe you're thinking, well, my church doesn't teach against the Ten Commandments. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you sure? Are you sure? How would you know unless you ask? You know, Jesus told the rich young ruler that came to him in Matthew 19 and verse 17, you know, the, the, the rich ruler came to what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, but if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. I told you the story about writing mega churches and asking them the same question. I worded it different. I said, well, what do I got to do to be saved? And without exception, they said things, well, just your part is real, sim real simple. What do you got to do to be saved? Just receive and believe. That's all you got to do. Just receive and believe. Now, I want to look at a set of scriptures that people use and that you hear from the pulpit continuously to try to discredit any type of obedience to the law of God. Here we go. Let's go with them. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, faith, and that's not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And they will always stop 
and put a period right there. But the scripture, you know, they not of works, lest any man should boast. But the scripture continues on in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Yeah, we're supposed to walk in good works. Well, what is good works? Well, you know what good works is. It's, it's, it's obedience through the law of God, doing what God tells you to do. All right, let's look at these set of scriptures that preachers will use again and again and again, over and over and over and over, until we're mesmerized by these scriptures. Galatians 2 and verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now, I understand that. I understand that scripture very well. I'm not trying to be made right by keeping the law. Let me ask you a question. Are you faithful to your wife? Maybe you shouldn't answer that question out loud, but hopefully you are. Now, if you're faithful to your wife, you are keeping the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. So by doing that, are you trying to earn brownie points with God? Are you trying to earn your salvation because you're faithful to God? No, you're just doing it because it's the right thing to do. It's what holds your marriage together faithfulness. Okay, so you're not trying to earn anything by keeping the law. Okay? But these scriptures are scriptures that preachers will use from the pulpit again and again and again to try to discredit any type of law keeping, especially if you tell someone, well, I keep the Sabbath day or I keep the holy days. They will use these scriptures again and again and again and again. Galatians 3 and verse 10. 10. For as many are of the works of the law are under the curse. What is the curse of the law? Well, if you break it, it claims your life. It's death. Okay, that's what it means to be under the curse of the law. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You know, that scripture does not say what a lot of people think it says. Notice, it, read it again. Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. <clears throat> so the disobedient are going to be cursed. <laughs> That's what that says. Okay, Colossians 2 and verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, take it and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now here's what I want you to understand. These are scriptures that are used by ministers again and again and again and again. And the simple-minded, the ones who never study their Bibles, they don't bring it to church. Let me ask you a question. How come you don't ever blow the dust off your Bible and read it for yourself? Why do you just go along with everything your preacher is telling you? Blow the dust off your Bible and start to read it for the first time in your life. And so what I'm saying, these scriptures that preachers will use, the simple-minded, the ones who never study their Bible anyway, will come to the conclusion, well, it must be wrong for me to even try to obey God's law. Yeah, that's what they'll come to. So we're going, we're going to do two things. We're looking at what Christ said, and we're looking at what he's going to do when he returns to this earth, and we're going to see that the two are the same. Okay, think not that I've come to destroy the law, Matthew 5 and verse 18 says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot, one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So do yourself a favor. Step outside on your front porch, on your front, out your front door, and look and see if heaven and earth is still there. If it is, nothing has passed from the law.
Okay? All right, so let's go into the future and, and take a look at what's going to happen concerning the law of God in the future. Micah 4 and verse 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall exalt above the hills, and people shall flow into it. Now, we're talking about the government of God being established on this earth. These are millennial scriptures that 1,000-year reign of Christ rule on this earth. Micah 4 and verse 2, And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his way, and we will walk in his path. For the law shall go forth out of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You know, this is a beautiful scripture that tells us that people are going to be eager to learn about the law of God when, this, when Christ returns. They're going to be zealous for the law of God. They're going to want to hear it because our society will have totally corrupted itself right before the return of Jesus Christ. We're talking about true conversion of all nations here, being convicted by the law of God, turning to Jesus Christ as their Savior. Yeah, the law shall go forth out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So we're looking at what Christ said and what is going to happen when he returns to this earth. And it's one and the same thing. Christ said, look, I don't change. I change not. Matthew 12 and verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Which day is the Lord's day? The real Lord's day. Which day did Jesus say he is Lord of? I can't hear you. Sabbath, the Sabbath day. So let's go into the future and see what's going to happen concerning the Sabbath day. Isaiah 66 and verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. What are we talking about? We're talking about a new heaven and a new earth. We're talking about the future. We're talking about when Christ returns to this earth. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh and that includes you come to worship before me says the lord so why why is all flesh when christ returns observing and keeping the sabbath day and why are you why is your church not keeping it today listen what people do on Sunday is not Sabbath keeping. It doesn't even resemble Sabbath keeping, the definition of Sabbath keeping. A 45-minute worship service that you go to and touch bases with the Lord and then you're out the door doing whatever you want to do, that's, that doesn't, doesn't even fit the definition of what it means to keep the Sabbath. But when Christ sets up his kingdom on this earth, all flesh will be keeping his Sabbath day, so you might as well get used to it and start doing it right now, right? And follow his example. As I said, most Christians don't follow Christ's example. They don't follow Christ. John 5 and verse 28, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which that all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. And shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now let's go into the future, the time of the end. Daniel 12 and verse 2, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. This is exactly, like it lines up directly with what Christ said. 
that he's going to resurrect the dead. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16, who only, speaking of God, who only has immortality dwelling in the lights which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Now, I need to explain the convoluted idea of the immortality of the soul. There's a teaching in mainstream that says you have an immortal soul. Now, this says God only has immortality. Can you misunderstand that? How can you misunderstand that? God only has immortality. But there's a teaching that man is born with an immortal soul. And if that immortal soul is good, it flits off to heaven when you die. If it's bad, it flits off to hell when you die. And you see, this is what gives hell its power of burning and burning and burning and burning and never burning up because of the false teaching of the immortality of the soul. Well, your Bible doesn't teach that you have an immortal soul. It says right now, God only has immortality. Now, let me ask you a question. Why would God promise you something if you already had it? If you already, now, now, immortality is something we're seeking. It's something that we want. It's something we'll be given at the resurrection. But why would God give you something promise you something if you already had it. Doesn't make any sense, does it? 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal, notice that, this mortal, what we are now, must put on immortality. When do we put it on? Well, at the resurrection. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal, what we are now, shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. You know, Jesus said, no man is ascended to heaven. Now, if you ask a preacher about this, well, why did Christ say that no man is ascended to heaven? They will tell you, well, their, their, their bodies don't go to heaven, but their soul their immortal soul goes to heaven. Well, we've already debunked the idea of a soul going to heaven, okay? We've just found out that God only has immortality, and we just found out that this mortal must put on immortality at the resurrection. So I want to talk about a little bit about heaven on earth. Isaiah 11 and verse 9, They shall not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Would you settle for earth? Would you settle for heaven on earth? Revelation 5 and verse 10, and has made us unto our gods kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. You know, heaven doesn't need fixing. Heavenly retirement is a cop-out. So we're looking at what Jesus said, and we're looking at what, is going, what he's going to do when he returns to this earth. And what will he teach? What will his custom be? And we don't see when Christ returns that the law is abolished. Now we find that Christ says, think not that I've come to destroy the law. We don't see the first work day of the week being made holy when Christ returns. No, we find the Sabbath day, all flesh will keep the Sabbath day. We don't see when Christ returns that all that are, are in heaven. We find that Christ said, all those that are in the grave shall hear his voice. We don't see that man is already in heaven. Jesus said, no man has ascended to heaven. We don't see souls in heaven or hell when Christ returns. We find out that God only has immortality right now. And immortality is something that we're seeking at the resurrection. When Christ returns, we don't see Easter, Halloween, Christmas being kept. We see the feast of Jehovah being kept.
the Feast of Tabernacles, and all of God's holy days being kept. Now, there's a verse in Hebrews 5 and verse 9 that says this, speaking of Jesus, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. My point is this. If you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will lead you into obedience, a desire to obey and do what God says to do. It will not, if you have the Holy Spirit, it will not lead you into a justification for not doing what God tells you to do. It will not lead you into, if you have the Holy Spirit of God, it will not lead you into a no-law theology that says, well, the law's been abolished, it's been nailed to the cross, it's been fulfilled, it's all been done away with. No. You're, the Spirit of God, if you have it, will lead you into a desire to do what God says, to follow Christ's example, and to do what he says. Now, I want to offer you a free booklet at the close here, very quickly, entitled, The Church That Jesus Built. You know, it is high time you get educated because I know a lot of you have just been spoon-fed what you believe your entire life. You picked it up from your parents. You just go at your head nodders in church. You just nod your head, yeah, mm -hmm, that's right, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't have to do anything. Just believe, just accept, just raise my hand. That's all it is to it. And, and that, no, you need to understand what the dynamics of the church that Jesus built and what it's really like, what the disciples really did, what Jesus really said that we should do. I'll send that information to you, the church that Christ built, free of charge. Just send me your name and mailing address. I won't bother you. I won't beg you for money. I won't sell your name to a mailing list or anything like that. I'll just send you the book free of charge, The Church That Jesus Christ Built. I'm David Freeman, and that's what's really in your Bible.